So we're going to be in Exodus. If you are a visitor here, we are 12 months, as the slide says, in Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus 7 today. But I do, if you could, man, I love when things really flow quickly. And so go ahead and put your tassel. It's going to take us a minute to get there, but I want you to see the words when we do. And I don't want to break stride too much. So go ahead and put a tassel in Psalms 115. Put a tassel in your Psalms 115 and then go to Exodus. Actually, we're going to start with 6 and then run right into 7. And so as you flip in your Bibles, I was blessed this morning. As I said, as a church, we are in deep in this book that has been so awesome. I am loving it so much. And so this morning, Terry Higginbotham, who I brag on a lot, who I love and who is a gift to this church in our nursery, amen, she gave my girls when they graduated, like this pink Bible that has pictures in it and stories of the Bible, and my girls take that Bible everywhere with them. And this morning, Lennon, she didn't know I was watching her. She was in the kitchen, and, and she was opening the Bible, and I could see, and I could see Moses in the basket, and she found Exodus. My, my daughter's four years old and cannot read a lick. So she found the picture, and she knew, which one, praise God for that. And I was watching her. I was having my cup of coffee, and I was keeping an eye on her, and she was pretending to read, right? And so she was just looking at pictures, and I could see her back was turned to me, and she's just like, reading this, and none of the words are accurate. She didn't know how to read, but she knows the story. And then all of a sudden, I hear my daughter say, and then Moses said, let my people go. And I was like, man, praise Jesus. And then she saw me and ran away. But hey, that's a, it was just, I was, that might not seem like a lot to you. It's a lot to me. Man, it's a lot to me. This book has been good to us. But if you're a note taker, I would love for you to do me a favor in your journal or your Bible. Just write the question, why did God want his people out of Egypt? Will you write that somewhere for me? Just anywhere. You might say, well, Hunter, that's an easy one. I don't think it's as easy as you think. Why did God want his people out of Egypt? So we're going to finish where we start, where we left off last week, and then I'm going to pray. So find yourselves in Exodus 6, starting with 26. We're committed to reading every single word. We're not going to pass over anything. And so all of those names in the genealogy took up our time last week. So we're going to finish where we, we're going to start where we finished. It says, these are the name, these are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall the Pharaoh heed me? Chapter 7. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. Hang on that. And just have that in your mind. Just have that plastered. Why does God so eager to have his people out of this land. Just have that on your mind. We're going to answer it. 
and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. They'll know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Arian did so, just as the Lord commanded them. So they did, and Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become like a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded them. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, that they did the same thing in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said, let's bow our heads and pray. God, we thank you for today. I have been blessed so much so far. And to come here and sing and be blessed by our praise team and have people committed to teaching in Sunday school and the kids running down the hall and people of all ages fellowshipping. Man, the church is a gift. This is a great, great gift that you have given us in Eastview and we thank you for that. Lord, as we enter this scripture of the plagues, these are hard messages. These are hard messages of warnings of sin and what sin does in our life and how when we do not heed your word, when we do not listen to your word, punishment is invited into our life. Lord, let us remove all distractions and let us feast our eyes on correction so we don't experience we grow closer to you in faith. Lord, I pray that, that in today's message, this is all about your glory. I pray that you receive the glory today. That our idols seem so small in the light of how amazing you are. That we place those idols aside, that we run from them, that we repent from our sin, and we put you first. I pray today that our people leave glorifying your precious name. And in your name, the church says in harmony, amen. Will you do me a favor? Just flip one or two pages to Exodus 3 and look at verse 20. If you didn't highlight it then, will you highlight it now? God says, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all of my wonders, which I will do in its midst. Hang on it. And after that, he will let you go. I will stretch out my hand over all of Egypt in the midst of my wonders. And at that time, they will let you go. Why does God seem so bent on having the people out of Egypt? And we're about to go into the 10 plagues, which historically and biblically um, is very much talked about Scripture in all of this book. We're going to spend approximately a month looking at what God is saying, what God is doing, and what that meant then, and how that is applied to us today. Now, this word plague, this word plague comes from the Latin word plaga, which literally means a great and mighty blow. It means a great and mighty wound. And so what you and I are going to do during the next three to four to five weeks, I don't have it fully planned out yet, what does it look like to be wounded by God? What does a blow by the Lord look like? We're about to see. 
God would go to Pharaoh, and as my daughter said, he would tell him, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say no. And not only would Pharaoh say no, he would actually make things worse. It would actually drive his wickedness and evilness poured upon the people. It actually made things harder for them. So Moses goes back to God. He says, I have failed. Aaron has failed. This is not working. What are you doing? They're not going to listen. They're not going to obey. And what does God say? And after that, after I put my hand on them, they will. Do you see it? Back in chapter 3, like Moses and Aaron, they didn't really even realize what he was talking about. They just heard, hey, listen, I promise. That's all they heard. God knew what was in store. And he says, hey, listen, when I get done with these people, I promise you they will. What does it look like to receive a blow, a wound by God? Understanding the 10 plagues at its basic level is very simple. The people of Egypt from Pharaoh down did not listen, did not obey, did not respect the word of God. If anything, they disrespected it, left it and laughed at it, and God responds in judgment that is not mysterious. We've talked about the mysteries of God a few times in Exodus. God's punishment in the 10 plagues is not one of those examples. This is a blunt message. This is a direct message, and this is an obvious one. If you do not obey, if you do not heed my word, if you continue to sin, there will be a mighty wound. So we started three months ago. We started this message in Exodus with a question. How did the people of God end up in Egypt in the first place? Do you remember that? Like, why are they even there? And so we spent two weeks looking at, oh, because of Joseph. They sold Joseph into slavery. And because of the famine, the people of God traveled to Egypt. And they went there out of necessity, but they stayed there because of family. And what led them there was sin. Do you remember this? And we go, oh, man. Because remember in chapter one, Joseph was what? Already there. And then we connected that back to the covenant with Abraham. We went back to Adam and Eve in the creation. And what we see so far in Exodus is God's sovereign and amazing plan in hand, working good and evil and heaven and hell and sin and faith, all for his glory and all for our good. And we got to see God's stretched out hand for how much he loves us and how much he has a plan for us. But let me ask you another question now. We know how we got there. Like, why does God so badly want them out? Why does God want the people out of Egypt? You know, Hunter, I don't have to dig very far. I don't have to go back to Genesis. I can throw a dart and get this one right. I don't need a whole sermon. He's a great God. God hates slavery. He's kind and sweet and gracious and merciful. Like My God does not want us in bondage. He doesn't support slavery. He's just doing what God does. And hey, listen, I'm into all of those things. But that is not the driving force to why God wants his people out of slavery. To understand the plagues. Whole month, whole month. To understand punishment to understand what God is doing in some of our struggle, we got to understand the intent behind it. There's more to it than just God's goodness. Look at Exodus 7, 14. This is the first plague. Look at 14 through 18 and have those highlighters out. The answer is right off the bat. Why does God 
want the people out of Egypt. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. You highlight 15 for me. Go to the Pharaoh in the morning. When he goes out to the waterfront, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. It's a loud message there. We'll come back to it. And the rod in which was turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Everything that we do this morning is going back to that statement. Will you please highlight, underline, whatever you gotta do. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Heavy word, guys, wake up. By what I'm about to do. Can you imagine Pharaoh? Pharaoh is looking at Moses and like, brother, you again? Like how many times I got to tell you no? What are you not hearing? What are you not listening I am king, you are peasant. And then Moses says, by this you will know. And you know Pharaoh's like, by what? What are you gonna do, right? What are you going to do? Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and they shall, the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river that is now blood. So Pharaoh, Egypt, was standing in the way of the people serving God. Pharaoh, Egypt, broke line of God's glory. Why does God want the people out of Egypt? Well, because our God is great. Well, amen. But why let my people go? Why? That they may serve me. That they may bring glory to my name. Egypt, Pharaoh, you have placed yourself and your false gods ahead of me. They have broke line and I did not approve that. Everything we do, every word we say, every relationship we have, every word that is spoken, how we parent, how we raise children, how we spend money, what we do on our weekends, who our friends are, how we sing, is all to bring glory to God. And we fall short, yes, but every aspect of your life, marriage, money, kids, career, fun, responsibilities, friends, is all meant to point towards God's glory. Anything you place ahead of that has broken line and will either abandon you or God will painfully remove it. You ever had someone break line? Like, even as an adult, like, your mind goes to, yeah, I remember, like, being in school and, like, the concession stand. No, 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 no. I remember being, like, 38 and somebody breaking line at some amusement park. And I was like, have you lost your mind? You know? Like, I remember looking at my wife going, no, don't say anything. Do not say. And I, this person broke me. They're not supposed to be there. This is my space. No one invited you to break line. There's a moment where the Lord says, hey, listen, you have put something ahead of me that was never invited to be there. Let my people go. Why? So that they can stand where they need to stand. To bring glory to my name. And you're preventing it. Now, one of the reasons that the Pharaoh's heart was so hard was that the Pharaoh brought and invited other gods to stand in their space in line. 
And one thing that I think that we fail to remember when you look back at Egypt, and and man, I dug hours into studying the history here. At one point in, in Egyptian culture, the name of God was proclaimed. What happened? How could we go from proclaiming the goodness of God to slavery and listen, we are worshiping the God of the Nile. Look at back at 15. I told you there's a message here. Look at 15. God says to Moses, go to the Pharaoh in the morning. Go to the Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river's edge to meet him. During this time in history, the people of Egypt mostly worshipped a god of the Nile that went by the name of Happy, H-A-P-I. And the water's front, they would go there in the morning and, and that would be like their altar. So they would come to the altar of their God, Happy, and they would give thanks and they would pray and they would worship and they would sing songs. This is one of the songs. Hail to you, happy, who goes up from the land, who comes to deliver Egypt, who brings us food, they would sing, who is abundant in provisions, who creates all good things. Everything that has come into being is through his power. And God looks at Moses and says, hey, shepherd, Slave, old man, you go meet Pharaoh at the altar of his God and tell him if he does not hear, he will. Can you imagine Pharaoh? I think we divorce ourselves from these scriptures. Can you imagine the Pharaoh standing alone, no bodyguards? He's at the altar. He is king. And Moses comes again. He's probably angry, confused, frustrated. You show up at my altar? Once again, let my people go? Look at 17. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. If you do not listen, you will. Guys, in the blink of an eye, in the blink of an eye, it's just Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh at the altar of happy, singing songs and praising the water. In the blink of an eye, there was an automatic water and food shortage. In the snap of a finger, transportation quickly shut down. In the blink of an eye, there was a financial and economic crisis. In the blink of an eye, there was a spiritual crisis. In the snap of a finger, hang on my words, in the snap of a finger at the altar of this God, singing out foolishness, the object of worship quickly became a thing of horror. The Nile was everything. The Nile was fun. The Nile was money. The Nile was food. The Nile was water. The Nile was career. The Nile was family. The Nile was God. The Nile meant everything. That's how you traded and that's how you made money. That's how you provided. That's what you did for fun. That body of water meant everything. And in the blink of an eye, this poor servant shepherd stopped the world. And what they sang to quickly became a thing of terror. That is a direct, a blunt and an obvious message. There is no mystery in what God is doing. Do you remember Exodus 2? Remember where the Pharaoh at that time said, hey, to control the people, if a male is born, do what? 
drown them. Drown them. Give that child to our God. Let our God swallow him. And you know what God says? Hey, if you want blood, I'll give it to you. If you want blood so badly, I will provide it. Can you imagine that conversation? Pharaoh went from laughing to hysterical. Everything stopped in the blink of an eye. With no effort, the world came to a halt. Later in Exodus, I believe 12, and then also in Numbers, the scriptures tell us that God poured his judgment out on Egypt and also targeted their gods. They will not listen, God. They will not obey. And what does God say? They will. They will. And at that moment, Moses didn't see it. Moses didn't understand. Even Moses did not see what God was going to pour out upon these people. They will. You know, today, things are very different, but very much the same. The average American in 2022 is not so different than the Egyptian in Exodus 7. We don't worship the God of the Nile because that would be ridiculous. We worship the God of the NASDAQ. It's just different names for the same God. And we worship money and we worship sex and we worship popularity and we worship status and big homes and ball and vacations. We, we, we worship those things because the river would be ridiculous sounding. From the beginning of time all the way to the garden, we have placed things in front of the Lord. And what is an idol, American? What is an idol? It is the things that we count on, the things that we fear, the things that we work for, the things that we dream about, the things that we prioritize. These are the idols that we've invited to break line. It is not a mystery why God went after the Nile first. God stepped in front of these people and says, hey, show me the biggest God you have. That's who I'm crushing first. And everything else will trickle down from it. Who gives you everything? Where does your comfort come from? Where do your dreams come from? Where does your money go to? What do you count on? I'm taking that first. Are we any different today? Are we any different One thing that we're going to see, and if you're a note taker and you haven't followed me so far, write this one down. If there's anything that you see in these 10 plagues, it is this, and it's a simple message. God hates idols. God hates idols. Keep going in 19. Remember, the picture, the picture the moment. And the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and over the rivers and over their ponds and over all of their pools of water that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all of the land of Egypt. Now, I'll just stop here for a second. I don't know if it matters much but there's a lot of debate here about was it actual blood? Or was it, there's a lot of different theories. Your pastor thinks that it's actual blood. Why? Because that's what it says. It says, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river. And in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, And the waters that were in the river turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine? 
as we all lose our mind with gas prices right now? Can you imagine we like $5 or $4, whatever? Can you imagine like waking up and it not being four or $5, but it being like 40 or $50 a gallon? And like me and my brother Ben back there, we're like riding bicycles together, right? We're walking places because I don't know if it's worth $100 to go to Jackson to Outback, you know? Can you imagine? Can you imagine, you think recession and the things that you and I have experienced, can you imagine a complete and total economic stock market crash where things just completely bottom out to the nth degree that all your retirement, all your saving goes to like zero? Can you imagine? Can you imagine like third world country, like a food shortage and like maybe the, the water becomes contaminated? In this country, like the land of the free, can you imagine? There'd be chaos. There'd be rioting. There would be death in the streets. Can you imagine if God struck our idols? Can you imagine if God put his hands on the things that we dream about or worshiped at the river's edge? What if God put his hand on this country like he did Egypt? Which one day I think he will. I told you to put a, a tassel or a bookmark or a thumb in Psalms. I, I could have read this to you myself, but I just want you to see it because it's so powerful. <clears throat> in Psalms 115, 4 or 3 through 8, it says this. But our God is in heaven, and guess what, church? He does whatever he pleases. There are idols of silver, and there's idols of gold, the work of man's hand. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they're not able to handle. They have feet, but... They do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Man, highlight it, do whatever you got to do. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Those who make them become like them. You know, in this country, no matter who you voted for, we like to point fingers and cast blame, and that makes us feel better about our current situation. This country does not have a president issue. It has a God problem. You think if we got Trump back in office or the liberal movement quieted down that your life would be better, your false gods don't have a four-year plan. Notice that the punishment, guys, and there's two sermons in this. The punishment did not just attack Pharaoh. Who did it attack? All the people. And there's two sermons in that that kind of go back and forth on each other. Number one is this. In life, in leadership, everything trickles down. And so for your foolishness and the, and the idols that you've placed in your home, in your life, guess who's eating that for dinner? Your children. Man, to find out one day, standing before God, that I hurt my kids because I invited false gods to break line when they weren't invited, like how that would crush me. Why is my son like this? Why is my daughter like this? And for God to look at me and go, man, you invited that garbage in your home. Is that you? What do your children worship? What do your kids think about? What do they dream about? What do they depend on? And most likely, whatever the answer is there is what you fed them. Everything in life trickles down. When you get done eating, you pass the plate. And so Egypt was not a God-fearing country anymore. There's a new regime and that trickled down to the people. There's a sermon there. And then there's a sermon also that kind of 
counteracts with it that there are no excuses, though. The people of Egypt don't go to heaven and go, hey, listen, you and I both know how jacked up that guy is. Have you heard Biden? That's not going to work. You can't blame the president. You can't blame your country. You can't blame your boss. You can't blame your old man. If you've heard the gospel and you've heard the truth and you've heard the warning, repent and fall on your face and follow Christ. There's two sermons. God did not just come after the idols or Pharaoh. It was the people. Look at the last few verses. It's a powerful message. It's a powerful image. Look at 22 through 25. Then the, Egyptian, then the magicians of Egypt did so with all of their enchantments, right? So trying more witchcraft and majesty, right? And Pharaoh's heart grew even harder. And he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And the Pharaoh turned and he went into the house. Will you highlight that? He saw this craziness. And he still turned around, right? He had water reserves. The Pharaoh turned and he went into his house. Are you going to do that today? Neither was his heart moved by any of this. So all of the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink. Because they could not drink the water of the river anymore. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. I've shared with you guys before, I'm not a huge television fan. That's not for like biblical reasons or anything. I just don't like all the noise. But me and my wife, we love those survivor shows, right? Have you ever seen one of those survivor shows where, you know, they're looking for water or food? And so the guy who's very intelligent on surviving, he'll go, whoa, 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 hey, I hear a stream like a mile and a half away, right? And he gets down on his hands and knees and he's like digging like an animal, right? And you're like, what is this cat doing? And he's digging like a dog. And then all of a sudden you see groundwater come up. It's like the concept of a well. He's like, wait a minute, because I don't know if that water is clean. And so water, clean water comes up from the ground if it's close enough. That's what these people are doing. Like addicts, they're looking for cigarette butts in the gutter. God takes away their God. Where's my money? Where's my fun? Where's my family? Where's my future? Where's my career? And they fall to their face after their leader leaves them. They fall down to their face and they're digging. They're digging like, maybe we find something, right? You know, COVID, COVID was this amazing sermon. Probably the greatest sermon I've ever heard from God's mouth that so many of us are so desperately to forget. It was this loud message, COVID, was this loud message where God halted time, if you like it or not, and everything stood still for a minute, and all the people got angry. You know why? It wasn't their views. It's because where are my gods at? This impacted my money, and this impacted my restaurants, and this impacted my high school football. Like, I don't really know what to do with myself, and everybody lost their minds. And we got angry and we got frustrated and we got opinionated and we all became medical professors at that time. And we got scared. And then all of a sudden, this thing happened that was kind of weird. Not everybody, but some, because people said it to me. I said it to my wife. We all kind of came together and we go, you know what? Even though this is crazy, and even though I don't like this, and even though it's, it's a lot of frustration and fear, I kind of have this weird, sneaky feeling that this is how it should be. I kind of like that things are slower. I kind of like that I have my family and my work and my church and my God. COVID has halted things. And I've heard the message. And some kind of weird, trippy feeling is that this is good for me. So God spoke and we heard some of us. 
And then all of a sudden the doors open back up. And what do we do? We all sprinted back. Thank God football's back. Thank God we can do our extracurricular stuff Monday through Sunday. Thank God I can work overtime. Thank the Lord that I can go here and do this and miss out on. We all sprinted back. And what did we do? We walked away from the obvious message of God and we invited plague two. Because we're too foolish to repent after plague one. And so we sit here today with once again, gas prices through the roof, war on the brink. What are we going to do? This is impacting everything. What about the stock market? What about my life? What about my career? What about Putin? What about Biden? And we drop to our knees and we're digging in holes. Maybe some water comes up, right? And the thing is, you'll probably find some and you'll invite plague three. Do you hear God's word? Do you hear his message? What is he telling you? This isn't about war. This isn't about presidents. This is not about your money. This is not about your comfort. This is God's word. If you allow things to break line, they will abandon you or I will painfully remove them. And we sprint back. We sprint back. You know, it's amazing to me. I'd be shocked. I'm not inviting you to do it. I used to invite that kind of stuff. I don't anymore. I'd be shocked if anybody goes, Hunter, don't really agree with that. I think idols are good. Every single one of you know that I'm talking to you. You know the idols in your life. And the high majority, some crazy Foolish reason, you will still walk back into your home like the Pharaoh. You know it. You know you are pouring hardship into your home, into your family, into your mind, into your faith. You know it's disrespectful. You know that it's upsetting, and you will still do it. You fall on your face, digging for water. You know, God is speaking today. Do you hear him? The Egyptians did not listen. They did not hear. And one day, if not soon or if not now, God will glorify himself in America like he did Egypt. As we go into our Lord's Supper, repent. Repent. Seek forgiveness. Toss your idols aside. Like if you are sitting here today and you go, Hunter, I know my idol. I know the plagues that I've invited into my life. I do not think about the person who sits next to you. Think about you. Think about the idols you fed your kids, that you fed your marriage, that you fed your pocketbook, that you've fed your mind, your heart. They will not bless you. They will abandon you and disappoint you God is enough. God is enough. God is everything. And God is better abundantly than anything you've allowed to come before Him. And this is one thing that I want you guys to hear, especially my young families, okay? Because I'm kind of in this sweet space where I'm still young, but I'm over some of my foolishness and probably in a new level of foolishness, but I'm at least over some of my old foolishness, okay? I'm a hybrid. So I want you to heed my words, please, okay? We have so many young people here with young children. And man, you're trying your best. You're like, man, man, when I get this raise, then that, cause, cause that's gonna mean this for me. And when I get that new job or when my wife gets that new job or my child gets a little older, when I pay this off, when I can start doing this and when this opens up, when that part, all those things. And like, man, then, then, then. And you start climbing this ladder that never ends. 
Like you ever see that cartoon where the donkey has the carrot on the stick ahead of him and he spends his whole life running after the carrot? Spoiler alert, he never eats the carrot. He never gets it. He dies hungry. And so for some of you, you're gonna be like, oh, oh, I'm putting God first. And what's gonna happen is as you get a little older, life's coming for you fast. And they're gonna start pulling at you. And it's gonna start inviting you. And it's gonna seem worthwhile. And you're gonna rationalize. And you're gonna make sense of it. And you're gonna excuse yourself. And God is gonna painfully remove it. I'm begging you, do not be foolish. God is enough. God is better. God will bless in ways that false idols can't. I want to share this quick, small little illustration. My truck finally died, right? 17 years, smelled like gasoline and ham, okay? Finally died, I sold it for parts, okay? And so I'm not, for the most part, a very materialistic guy. Um, I don't care anything about vehicles. I don't need a $60,000, $70,000 truck. But I'm not going to lie to you. I kind of want a truck. I'm a man, right? It's a status. And so my truck goes, and I don't, I don't have money to get a truck, I got four kids, pastor with a wife who works, who stays at home. And so I sat down and I said, hey, how can we figure this out? I want a truck. I need something. And I just can't afford one. And so I said, well, the only way I can afford one is, is maybe I cut giving a little. Because every year, a desire for my family is to give more every year. And so maybe if I, you know, God will be okay with this. It was overachieving anyway. I do enough here. I'll cut giving maybe. Maybe my wife needs to go get a little part-time something real quickly. And maybe that part-time something needs to pay a little bit more than we thought maybe. Or maybe I need to take some away some things from my family or my kids that I want them to do. Just Maybe I need to do a few things for me to get this truck because this truck is going to make me happy. So my mom passes. And in her will, she leaves me her 15-year-old hybrid What's this thing called? Prius. Okay. I don't even respect it enough to know what it is. Okay. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not a car guy. I'm not a car guy, but I don't like this car. I just don't. I feel like I'm driving in a toy and it's dented in. It's dented in and just not fun to drive. And so we sit down and go, hey, how do we get Hunter a truck? And there's no answer. I'm not getting one unless I do some things, unless I do some things that are probably not wise for my family right now, are good or honoring to God, okay, for my family. So I'm stuck with this truck, this car. And so all of a sudden, the gas prices rise and everything starts to change. You know how I look at that car today? I look at it like a $70,000 truck, right? <laughs> and so listen to me. There's a, there's a moral to this funny story. It's not that if you're faithful, God's giving you a truck. I might not ever get a truck, but what God does is even better than a truck. You might not get the raise. You might not get the house. You might not get the car. Your kid might not make all stars. He might not play for the Yankees one day, Okay but God changes your heart to where you look at what you often thought was, man, this is not going to be good enough, and you glorify him in it. Here's the truth, guys. I couldn't today afford the gas for the truck that I didn't need. And so now, this little bitty car that I was kind of embarrassed of, it does nothing but bless my family, and I thank God for it. God changed my mind, my heart, my outlook, my perspective. It's better and so how we're ending this is I call my praise team up. What you see is putting God first is, man, I don't know if it's going to be good. It's not going to be good. It's going to be great. Putting God where God deserves to be 
is nothing but good news for you. It will bless you. It will bless your family. And it will fulfill you in ways that those false idols can't. And so as we go into our Lord's Supper, I want you to pray here. My brother Brent, he read to you out of 1 Corinthians, the Lord's Supper. And at Eastview, we do this thing that I think is so awesome, is we teach the Lord's Supper in two ways. Repent and celebrate. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. I am not enough. God, forgive. And then we celebrate that he does. It's beautiful. Right now, as they sing, pray, God, forgive me for what I have allowed to break line. I have put things ahead of you. And not have they just come, I've allowed it. I held their space in line. And I don't want punishment. I don't want to disrespect what you have done for me. I don't want to invite something that is not not just great. It is good because you are great. I don't want to, I want to invite God's greatness into my life. Why does God want his people out of Egypt? Because he had a plan for them and it was to bring glory to himself. Your idols have prevented that. Your family doesn't see the glory of God when they're looking at idols. You don't see the glory of God when you're looking at idols. God, forgive me. Have those idols get in the back of the line. Forgive me of my sin. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. As we go into singing here, I pray that our heads are down, that they are praying on their own. They're not just having a pastor pray over them, but they are praying themselves, not just as a family or a couple. or No, no, individually, God, there's, there's things in my life that are bringing destruction. I don't invite plague to. I don't invite plague to. Remove them. Take them away. Let me leave them at the water's edge. Stop digging for water that you're not supposed to drink. God is enough. He is better and he is everything. In your precious name, amen.